Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Brett Larkin on with us. She's the founder of Uplifted Yoga and the author of Yoga Life, Habits, Poses, and Breathwork to Channel Joy Amidst the Chaos. So I'm really excited to have Brett on um, with us today. I was just telling her before we hit record that I just did her pre-postpartum yoga certification last year. So I'm excited to chat yoga with you today, Brett. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So I would love if people are, you know, new to you and to what you bring to this world, can you share a little bit about your own personal yoga journey and maybe how it came into your life? Yes. I'm someone who suffered with extreme anxiety. My parents divorced when I was really young and I'm still processing really all the fallout from what that did to me energetically when I was really little. And that anxiety continued with me throughout college. And I was always afraid the other shoe was going to drop. It's hard for me to really remember my life before yoga because I don't know how I was functioning. Uh, <laughs> and in a sense, like my, I had this inner strategizer who was just constantly trying to make everything perfect and I wanted to be perfect. And for me, yoga was the first place that I realized that all these critical negative voices in my head weren't me, that mm. I had a choice to maybe think something different. And I fell into this passionate love affair with yoga and I knew I wanted to make it my life's work, but I had a lot of limiting beliefs. I thought I would be poor if I committed to teaching yoga. I thought I would never make money as a yoga teacher. And it's been such a beautiful journey from having to overcome all of those mental blocks and, uh, you know, creating the online school I've created. So anyway, I ended up uh, creating a very large yoga YouTube channel, which now has over half a million subscribers. You can practice uh, with me for free on YouTube. I put one of the first yoga mobile apps together back in 2014, which is the Uplifted Membership, which is a very long time ago. And I put yoga teacher training online in 2015. And I've certified over maybe 4,000 yoga teachers globally uh, since then. So I really credit yoga with not just helping me find success in my personal life, but also with the foresight to bring yoga online, you know, like seven or eight years before COVID and before anyone else was doing it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, 2015, like that's forever ago in the online space and everything. I mean, so much has shifted throughout, you know, those last, what, eight years. I would love for you to share a little bit about, because I actually had someone just ask me about my recommendations for yoga teacher trainings. And I think sometimes we get stuck in the, here are the local options. And sometimes that doesn't work in people's schedule. So could you share a little bit about if people are listening and they're like, I've been thinking about becoming a yoga teacher. And I didn't realize I could do an online yoga teacher program. What does yours kind of look like? Mm, love that question. Well, uh, do yoga teacher training. Everyone should do <laughs> yoga teacher training. Uh, it's just like life school. You know, everything oh. we didn't learn in high school biology about how your own nervous system works and how to 100%. regulate it and take care of your body. Like, so even if you don't want to teach yoga, whether it's with me or someone else, like do yoga teacher training just to learn how to take care of your physical, mental, uh, emotional body. So that's the, the first thing that I would have to say. Uh, about 60% of my incoming class, Andrea, is usually there to deepen their personal practice. The, the career part is really only uh, 40% are thinking about that when they enroll. So you'll be in good company. 
And then local options can be great. It's fun to get to know people in your community. But what I love about online is, first of all, the flexibility. If you have kids, if you have a full-time job, we have a lot of healthcare professionals who take our training. So people who work very long hours and also have families, the anatomy portion of our training is world-class. So the flexibility uh, also, <laughs> I have these mobile apps, right? So you can actually download the course content to watch at your kid's soccer game or on an airplane mm -hmm. where you don't have Wi-Fi. So it's incredibly accessible, the videos I've designed for people with busy schedules. So they're 20 minutes, 10 minutes. You know, there's not these like three-hour lectures that you have to get through. And I try to make the content pretty entertaining because I always say if you're having fun, your students are having fun. So um, there's, there's a lot of fun in the videos as well. And then what I also love about it beyond the flexibility is the diversity you get to see when you do yoga teacher training online, how these poses look in, you know, not just your local community, but in hundreds of people's bodies. And I have this incredible library of all the asana, all the poses that I've collected of all my students from over the years in various parts of the world, people with big bodies, people with small bodies. We've had people take the training who are 14 with their parents' permission. We've also had people in their 70s. I've had people missing limbs take the training. So it's like you really are getting to see, and all of this is on video because <laughs> we have people submit photos of themselves as part of the, the journey. And of course, we're practicing online together as well. And then I'm the only online yoga teacher training that also ships you a 600-page paper manual. So we ship wow. that globally. The manual goes along with the videos. I am still a paper uh, pen and glitter glitter pen and paper girl at heart. Too. <laughs> so I think if you're taking something online, you especially need that grounding element of a manual. Yeah. And the way the training works is you have all this content that you, I kind of call it like you can binge watch it. You can watch it slowly over the course of the year. And then when you're finished with that home study portion, you join us live for what we call the implementation and mastery portion of the training. And that's when you're live on Zoom with me and my trainers. We're going deeper into everything you've studied at home on your own and your practice teaching. And we actually move you through that in a four-month cohort with the same group of people. Uh, so it's very different how most online trainings work. Most online trainings, you can sign up anytime. You can just start whenever, you know, you're with whoever might show up. Everyone's at a different place in their journey. I love the cohort model because of the friendships and the intimacy that's formed because community is extremely important to me. I think if you're just studying and doing yoga in a silo, you're not, that's not what this is about, right? So yeah. I love fostering that connection and our students travel together and meet up and have hosted retreats together. And then there's a huge focus on business as well. So my training is definitely the most expensive out there or one of the most expensive, but uh, we stand behind our tuition 1000%. Yeah. With a 600 page module, like, uh, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, my training book was not that in depth and, you know, even you mentioning anatomy, cause I think that's something that I come from a personal training background and I feel very comfortable with anatomy, but I know many in my group, you know, that I went through my first 200 hour with were not. And they're like, I don't know any of this. And so I love that you have anatomy in there. Cause I think that is so important. If you're going to be teaching yoga to others, how does the body work? And so you can have some basic understanding, you know, if we're going to bring people through physical asana, we need to have that foundation. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. And this ties into my book, which is that, you know, we really approach everyone as an individual. So this mm -hmm. isn't like let's shoehorn people into a certain 
position or style of yoga. This is really about how can the magic of this ancient science meet you? How can this feel good in your body? Which is why there's such a focus on the diversity of looking at how, like, how does warrior two look in, you know, 35 people's bodies with my commentary and talking about how would move them and how, you know, and then of course you get to practice teach as well. So it's really, the pose is not the goal. It's the, your awareness your presence in the posture is the goal. That's the approach we take. And that's mm. what I really believe because yoga is about awareness. Ultimately, mm. it's not about these fancy pretzel postures and it's the awareness that's going to change your life and lead to those lasting results that you want off the mat as well. The joy, the intimacy uh, with your partner, with your family. Mm. Yes. And how would you go about this if you're teaching a class and maybe, you know, students and people are feeling a little disconnected from maybe their bodies how do you kind of help bring awareness into people who feel disconnected? The breath, Mm. the breath. And I talk about this in my book. If you can only choose between poses and breath work, breathe, Mm. because the bridge between the body and the mind is the breath. That's what yogis figured out millennia ago. Uh, They've, you know, they figured out in caves and whatnot, you know, like if they really slowed down their breath, right, they could slow their heart rate. They felt more relaxed, they were able to sleep better, right? They figured out if they, you know, breathed really rapidly or did like a Kabbalah Bhati or a breath of fire or a Bastrika, like a, right, they, that they felt more energized. They started timing these, you know, they started figuring out that, I mean, it's just so, it amazes me even today, you know, it's like I'm decades into teaching this material and like, I'm getting so excited still just talking to you about this because, the breath is the one area we have where we get to do a manual override, right? Like if I don't like how I'm feeling, I can change the way I'm breathing and do like a system override of my nervous system of my body to respond differently. So even if something is happening, something very stressful, like my toddler screaming at me or having a tantrum or maybe even falling and getting hurt and my body goes into uh you know, like a trauma response, right? Of my heart rate increasing, cortisol flooding my system, you know, all the things. I can do a manual override of that with enough breath awareness. And if I know how to regulate uh, my nervous system through a lot of these yogic practices, and then that's so beautiful because then I can respond instead of react. The strongest nervous system in the room wins 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So I can be this ocean of calm radiating through my nervous system for him when he's having a tantrum or hurt rather than, you know, freaked out. So, I mean, that's just kind of a silly example, but notice how you're breathing throughout the day. If everyone listening to this podcast could do that, where's the breath in your body? You can ask two questions and this is in the book. Are you breathing fast or slow? That's one of the best, easiest things that you can just ask yourself and notice. Am I breathing fast or slow? And then where am I feeling the breath in my body? Most women we breathe up in our chest in what's what's called reciprocal inhibited breathing. It's actually your diaphragm moving in the most inefficient way it could for maximum oxygen to CO2 exchange. Why this happens is, I believe, there's there's many reasons, some lots of factors. But many of us are, are told from a very young age that we need to be thin. So we suck it in, right? I don't know if other women can relate to this, but you walk by a mirror or you walk by a store window and what do you do? You suck your belly in. And what happens when you do that is that it constricts the full range of your diaphragm. Your diaphragm is the muscle that powers respiration. 
And so you get stuck breathing in a shallower pattern, meaning you're feeling the breath mainly just in your chest. This way of breathing, short, shallow, more rapid breaths high in the chest, is the breath pattern that signals stress to your mind-body system. So if you're trapped breathing in a chronic stress response, you're going to feel more anxious, no matter if you do a headstand or anything else that you do. So one of the best things you can do is to practice what I call long, slow, deep breathing, uh, belly breathing, a full diaphragmatic breath. And there's a whole tutorial about this in the book. And I mean, we can try it together if you want, but the, the core essence of it is that you want to be feeling the inhale in your belly with your with your belly button moving forward into your hand uh, and your exhale with the belly button pulling back. So it's a much more embodied, deeper breath that you feel more down in your pelvis rather than uh, a short, shallow breath in the chest. I mean, and that's something that I know I grew up sucking in and have been still working through constipation issues years later, just because everything compresses and you know, the birth of my first child, I was like, man, I I heard people telling me to breathe. I still, I was breathing backwards and trying to give birth when you breathe backwards, not an enjoyable process. And so, I mean, just having that awareness and teaching that, I think in class or practicing that at home, if you're just listening to us and you're like, wait, you know, inhale, I should be, my belly should be going out. Like that might be a new concept or something that takes a little bit of work to kind of reframe how you're breathing just as you're sitting here, you know, not just in yoga class, but just sitting and normal breath, where, where are you going? So I like that you brought awareness to that. Um, and I know in your book, you know, you talk about habits and poses and breath work. So what are some of maybe these habits that you chat about in your book? Yes. Before we go into the habits, I just want to let your listeners know that if they want to practice this, one of the easiest ways to do it and the best and that can sync real talk about habits. Here we go. <laughs> is you can do this before bed. So do it mm-hmm. lying down because for a lot of us, it can be hard oh. to feel the belly button moving forward uh, when we're standing up. But if you lie down on a bed, um, you think of your belly button moving up towards the ceiling and because your spine is stabilized and supported by your bed, it can be easier. So you can even put a book on your belly and then inhale and think, I need to move the the book up with my belly. I do this with my kids. I put stuffed animals on their bellies. So we do this every night before they go to bed. I love <laughs> um, it. And, and what's so great is this really calms you down. And then it, you know, really helps you fall asleep, which, you know, most Americans have a hard time falling asleep and they have a hard time waking up. That's why yeah. we have over-the-counter sleeping aids or like one of the number one pharmaceuticals sold. And we have Starbucks on every corner, right? Um, you can use yoga instead, right? Yoga was the figured out how to hack the, the hack energy in our body a long time ago. So uh, I just love giving that tip. And I have a yoga nidra on YouTube that we can link up for people if you want. That's yoga nidra is just like yogic sleep. So it's just me cueing you through this very deep breathing pattern. So you could also follow along to it uh, if you wanted. So, I mean, that's an easy habit right there. It's like before I fall asleep, instead of doom scrolling on my phone, I'm going to lie down. I'm going to put something on my belly or just put my hand on my belly and just practice retraining how I, how I'm breathing. Uh, the, the other habits in, in the book is actually wrote this book because I went through a really challenging year myself. Personally, I gave birth to my first son uh, so I was kind of initiated into the insanity of motherhood. You know, you just, you don't know how much it's going to take out of you and how demanding it is and how your whole world is going to change. 
And that exact same year, I lost my father to cancer. Um, I was his sole care provider. Yes, I was his sole care provider. So I had literally in my home, I had one bedroom with my little newborn in it. And the bedroom right next door was my father on hospice care. And I was caring for them both and running my business. That was extremely challenging. And it was a growth year for the business as well. Uh, Mm. So I found myself unable to practice the yoga I had been doing up to that point. Up to that point, I was teaching at studios. I was going to studios. I was doing a 60 or 90 minute practice every day, even if I was practicing at home. All of that got taken away from me in that year. There just wasn't time anymore. And it was definitely a rock bottom moment. I just remember feeling like, where, where, how can yoga help me now? Right. It's like my life is uh, diapers and bedpans and being on hold with the insurance providers for my dad, you know, for, th- for three hours listening to Muzak while I clean the kitchen and, you know, stress out about the dog. And we had also moved. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a system of support oh. in the place where we had moved to. And I realized that, you know, so much of the ancient yoga that I had been focused on and studying really wasn't designed for women. It really wasn't designed for for caretakers and what I'd call the householder uh, yogi. It was really designed for men, elderly men who were preparing for the next life, renouncing all their possessions. And um, back in Vedic times, once you were a grandpa, you'd kind of do the grandpa thing and then you'd leave. You'd leave your town, you'd leave your village, you'd go to beg for alms and wander in the woods, often without any possessions or clothes. And that was to prepare for the next life, right? You were, you were preparing your soul essentially to leave your body. Um, and the practices were also designed for very, very young men, like 10 to 14 year old boys who were entering the monastic order. So kind of getting ready to live in an ashram. So I love the yoga sutras, but I have a lot of issues with them as well, because they're not really written for, uh, householders. It's, it's a text that's for those two groups of people. (laughs) People who have nothing else to do but practice the eight limbs. Uh, that's why they're they're very intense and there's a lot of steps. So I started kind of trying to think like I don't I don't need to find enlightenment. I need the simplest, fastest, most efficient path to ground and center myself so I can be a caretaker for my employees, the people on my team, for my family. And that uh, resulted in me breaking a lot of the yoga rules I'd been taught. You know, I've been taught, you can't alter kundalini kriyas. You have to hold the in poses and stillness. You can't move. You know, I started really out of desperation. It's like necessity is the mother of invention, right? I started in uh, how I'd practice. This is what I do. I'd set a timer for however long I had to practice. <laughs> sometimes it was 10 minutes. Sometimes it was five. Sometimes it was 15. I would tune deeply inward. And luckily I had a lot of yoga training. So I, I had the, the self-connection, the body connection to be like, what do I need? And then I would just do that. And sometimes, again, it was it was the antithesis of what I'd been taught and was even teaching others, right? It was, <laughs> it was mixing and matching different styles of yoga. It was doing things maybe in an order that didn't make sense, but it was so profoundly personal to me. And I remember there's one day that stands out in my mind that I, I, I did this kind of very intense, personalized practice. I remember feeling amazing. I finished it and I was like, wow, I feel grounded. I feel like I can you know, go out and, you know, so I'm sure the baby was about to wake up. I was like, I can, I can do this. I feel so that yoga glow. I felt as good as if I had just taken a 60 minute class and the timer hadn't gone off yet. 
my first thought was, oh crap, my phone died, right? Like, <laughs> I'm, what am I late for? And I looked and I, I think I had set the timer for 20 minutes that day. I was able to get my nervous system in that calm and expansive, beautiful state in 16 minutes hmm. by personalizing the breath work and the poses I chose to practice. And I just remember thinking in that moment, I was like, I need to teach other women how to do this. Like, I need to, like, how did I, for, how did I do this? And I need to figure it out so I can teach it to other people. And I get, I did not have the bandwidth to do any of that in that moment. But uh, three years later, when things settled down and or four or five years later, I think is when I started the book proposal. And that's the framework I teach in Yoga Life, the book. Uh, it's It's how to design your own incredibly nourishing 20-minute personalized ritual, which is designed to balance your personality uh, using Ayurveda as a framework. So very in line with everything you teach. And it's changed my life. And in addition, it's modular. That's the best news. So I, you know, we kind of assemble this 20-minute personalized routine. There's quizzes. Um, I make it really easy. So even if you, you know, have no yogic knowledge, you can, you know, assemble this uh ritual with me. And then at the end of the book, we're like, let's, let's blow it up. Right. You only have five minutes. This is how you'd take what you design in your ritual and practice just these three poses. Uh, your baby didn't sleep well. Here's how you'd take it from a 20 minute thing to a 10 minute thing that you could do with them in your lap. Here's, and then there's the yoga habits to come back to your original question. The yoga habits are all these ideas that I sprinkle throughout the book to take yoga off the mat, like mm -hmm. how you could do pranayama in your car, how you could, uh, do yoga while you're washing the dishes, how you can maybe do what I call like a half sun salute, um, or a spinal flex, uh, just while you're waiting for the tea kettle to boil or for the bath to run. So even if you miss your ritual, you're still working on regulating your nervous system through these like little micro practices and mini moments that we have throughout the day. Because what I found, and then I will pause, but what I found is even my most advanced students, they didn't have the skill of yogic adaptability, meaning like they thought they'd do yoga on a mat and they they could do that. They could maybe even assemble their own sequences and practices. But if I was like, you only have eight minutes, you don't have a mat, <laughs> um, you know, it's like you're in between two activities, do something ASAP that's going to regulate their, your nervous system and, and be potent and balancing for you. They wouldn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So it's this yoga in between that I, I that I also teach in the book, right? Like the these practices that you can do just here and there between other activities. A lot of times we don't think that time's valuable. It is valuable. Any attempt to slow your breath or calm your nervous system adds up. It's a cumulative process over your lifetime. So grabbing those in between moments, especially if you're a mom, especially if you work full time, it's like that's what you need to get good at. <laughs> like not 100%. mastering handstand or these arm balances on a yoga mat. Oh, 100% agree. And um, I mean, this is a conversation uh, Angela and I had about Ayurveda and she does the simple Ayurveda podcast. And we were just, you know, sharing about, we don't have time as, you know, moms with two young kiddos to do the two hour full Ayurvedic routine in the morning. And you're like, how can you make it, you know, worth your while? And I think this is something that again, for us, you know, it's a little bit easier, but if you don't have the the knowledge, I think your book, this plays a nice, you know, little practice. I always tell people if you, it's not written down, if you don't have it somewhere, sometimes it's hard to come up with things on the spot because my little one hasn't slept through the night. And so having something where it's written or I could flip a page and be like, great, here's my 10 minute practice. I mean, this sounds perfect for anyone who might be in that phase of life right now to just kind of pull something from. 
Um, this is also kind of tying into my next question is what about for maybe the, I'm thinking of a Pitta person in particular who loves to just follow the rules, do all the steps. How can they kind of release some of that rigidity that they might have learned and have trouble saying, you know what, a 20 minute practice is better than nothing. How can you find that balance or what tips do you have for that person? Mm, well, as a recovering perfectionist, I relate. <laughs> uh, the perfectionism destroys so much goodness in, in our life. And, and it's something I also struggle with. And I also have high pitta in my constitution. So there's a couple things I would say to that person. One is that a potent personalized practice is more powerful than a generic 60 minute one. Mm -hmm. And I can say this with a lot of authority because I've built and felt this in my own body. It's, it's really just like, how efficient are you at the yoga system? You can flow through, you know, yeah, sure. A bunch of warm up poses and a bunch of sun salutations. And maybe you want to do the Ashtanga primary series and, and you're going to feel great at the end of those 60 minutes, 100% you will. But if you need to make it shorter, there is a science of, it's like a hack really. I, I just think I want to get the most bang out of my yoga buck if I'm only doing 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And that means I'm going to need the, the poses and the breath work techniques that are like, I, I call them the soulmate poses, uh, but the ones that like uniquely affect my energy the fastest and the most efficiently. So pittas, you could get excited about like finding your soulmate postures because when you do, it's like ding, 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 right? Like, sure, on, on the days where you have time to do that full 60 minute thing or you're a strongest, like go for it. But on the days that you don't, you no longer have to go without. You can actually feel as good uh, in such a shorter amount of time, if you know what to practice. The the other key theme, and I, I introduced this early in chapter two, is this idea of cultivate the opposite. Um, and I tie this to the idea of tapas, which is a Sanskrit word that means like heat or friction or effort. It's often associated with like the effort that it takes to hold something like a chair pose in yoga, but that's not really what it is at, at a deeper level. It's more like this alchemy. It's like the intentional friction that you put yourself through to do something in a different way. So if you're pitta and you're a perfectionist, your tapas, your work, your spiritual path, your karma is, <laughs> is to let that go, uh, is to cultivate the opposite of that ingrained perfectionist tendency and to actually relinquish control. Like the most difficult thing for a hardcore pitta who loves ashtanga, your tapas, the true spiritual work for you would be to do a yin practice. Right? Doing the sun salutations and the chaturangas and pushing yourself hard and practicing 60 minutes. If you're a perfectionistic pitta with an ashtanga addiction, that's easy for you. What's going to be hard for you is sitting in stillness with just an awareness of your breath. Uh, many can't do it. Like they'll, They actually can't do it. They will fidget. They will go nuts. So we, we don't want to be a tough love. I mean, a lot of us are moms listening to this, right? So we, we don't want the tough love approach. We'd never say to our kid, right? Like sit there, be still, you can't move. Right. What, what the introduce the, what I do is I use this phrase, uh, and, and I love this. It's like, meet yourself where you are and transition to what you need. Right. So meeting myself where I am, if I'm a perfectionistic pit set, it's like, okay, maybe I'm going to do three perfect sun salutations with junk, jump back chaturanga, you know, just so I can like ooh, burn off a little of that excess energy. But then after I indulge in that, so it's indulge in what you want, transition to what you need. I'm going to be a mature yogi and realize that the tapas, the true work for me is to now sit in a yin pose. Mm. 
So there's a way you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You indulge in what you want a little bit, and then you transition to what you truly need. That was a little nuanced, but do you feel like that made sense or that folks are going to be able to follow us there? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, most of, I would say a good chunk of the listeners are also Pitta. So they probably are like, yep, totally understand that. (laughs) Um, I want to kind of do the kind of maybe the opposite of that. What if someone is listening and they're like, "Mm, I let my yoga practice go. I used to maybe have a yoga practice on the mat, off the mat, all the things. And they are just looking to re-engage yoga in their life again. Where would be a good place to start for someone like that? I would start getting close to the floor, making it really easy for yourself, making your practice feel very nourishing. I would eliminate any of the dialogue, like just give zero of your mental attention to the story of I haven't practiced for so long, you know, like there, there's this snowball effect that when we continue to think, you know, I fell off the wagon, right? The more you think about it, the more you're just feeding that narrative. So, I mean, I have days where I miss my practice. Things don't go well. My MO in those moments, I'm like, I'm going to give this as little attention as possible. Hmm. Like I have a deep daily spiritual practice. I just tell myself that. And just like, as soon as I can, or whenever it's able, like the next day I'm on the mat. So I'd say, notice if you're feeding the narrative of, you know, the, the falling off the wagon or whatever it is. And then I'd make it really nourishing to come back to your mat. I mean, that's the reframe I offer in the book. It's like, instead of yoga as being this thing to do, it's like yoga, your, first of all, your whole life is a yoga studio. So it's not, yoga is not another thing on your to-do list. Your whole life is a yoga studio. That was the original title for the book. Uh, your life is a yoga studio. It got shortened to yoga life. Um, but not just that, like your practice is here to nourish you. You know, so many of my students as well write me and they're like, I want a consistent practice. How do I do it? And I'm like, well, you make your practice so friggin' nourishing and pleasurable that you'd never want to skip it. Hmm. But in order to do that, you have to be able to personalize it. So if you've fallen off the wagon, you know, it's like, maybe you just want to start with a child's pose. Like if that were me, what I would do, I wouldn't feed the negative narrative. I'd put my yoga mat right next to my bed. When I woke up in the morning, I'd put my hand on my belly. I'd do the deep breathing that we talked about. Then I would slip out of my bed and just like, you know, go to the bathroom if you need to, whatever. But then I just get on the mat and just do a child's pose. Or I do just some really gentle cat cow. I call cat cow like the gateway drug because, <laughs> because if you do some cat cow, it's like really hard not to then do more yoga, right? It's just, it's so, it feels so good. And just tell yourself, it just, it only has to be five minutes. Like put no pressure on yourself. And then- The thing about these postures, though, especially if you find your soulmate postures, is they're addictive, they feel good, and then you end up spending more time on the mat. Um, Trying to get on your mat every day, even if it's just to lie down and do yoga nidra. I do yoga nidra almost every day. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, it's like a form of deep meditation. It's called deep yogic sleep. It's incredibly healing, rejuvenating, a godsend for moms. Um, You know, I do it before like witching hour at my house. So, you know, (laughs) mid late afternoon, if I know I'm in charge of like dinner or bedtime, it's like I need to do a 20 minute yoga nidra to just charge up to have energy for that. Uh, So, I mean, those are just a couple ideas, Um, but start small. I think people think the small things don't matter or they don't add up. I mean, that's what I see. Someone's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I only have 10 minutes. So they just do nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, like, if you're a ninja at yoga hacking and the personalization and all the stuff I teach in this book, like, you can shift your energy so quickly in 10 minutes or two or three. Uh, It's just the skill that you need to get good at. It's different from what we've been taught in, like, a traditional yoga class. Mm. 
Yes. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, that's the same with like the fitness and personal training. One of my good friends, she does 20 minute workouts and she is probably the fittest, most ripped person I know. And people are always like, you just do 20 minutes. She's like every single day. It's something I love and look forward to. And that's all I do. And, you know, people are kind of shocked, like, oh, she's like, you just make use of your time. She's like, I'm a busy person. I'm a business owner, but I squeeze it in when I can. And I make it effective and learning how to personalize your, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like what she's doing in those 20 minutes is probably like highly targeted and effective and helping her be ripped and, you know, get her goals. So it's the same with yoga. It's like, you just need to discover what those soulmate postures and breathing techniques are for you. And I literally made it so simple in the book that like, if you get lost, I kind of try to get people there themselves. But at the end of each chapter, if you're just like, I'm still not sure, like there is a quiz. There's a literal little quiz that's just like fun and cute that you can take. That's going to like point you at least in the right ballpark direction. Well, if people are listening and they want to connect with you, Brett, um, you know, where can they buy your book, find your YouTube channel, social medias? Oh, thank you. Yes. My name, Brett Larkin. So it's two T's, B-R-E-T-T-L-A-R-K-I-N. Just type it into Google. You'll find me. Um, BrettLarkin.com is my website. You can see all the different yoga teacher trainings there. And I now have a yogic life coaching program. So it's life coaching rooted in Vedanta, which is really cool. Uh, The YouTube is my name, Brett Larkin. You'll find me if you just search for it. And the book is called Yoga Life. And it's available everywhere books are sold. So that means you could get it globally. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on bookshop.org if you prefer that. So uh, yeah, just so grateful to get to connect with your audience. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, I just have one final question and you kind of already threw out a little challenge, but I'll see if you have any more or if you want to keep it similar. But what would you like the weekly challenge for everyone to be this week? Well, I gave it away early in the episode. <laughs> uh, notice how you're breathing throughout the day. Notice how you're breathing throughout the day before you respond to that stressful email or, you know, uh, snap at a kid or, you know, just notice how you feel uh, in terms of how you're breathing. Notice how you're breathing. And I like to take my hands to my body. It really helps me slow down because I think if I just mentally think, how are you breathing? I, I, it's like you kind of need to close the circuit by actually putting your hands on your body. So if you're listening and not driving, you could actually just do this with us now. Put one hand on your belly, one hand on your heart, and just notice, how am I breathing? Where is the breath in my body? Could I send the breath into the belly? And if you just do this five or six times throughout your day, you'll notice real shifts. Even if you don't do anything, I, there's a part of this in the book, but it's like, even if you don't then try to breathe in a different way, just the act of noticing your breath, this is proven. This is science, everyone. Just the act of stopping to notice how you're breathing, drawing your attention on it, calms your nervous system. Even if you don't make any effort to change anything. So invite in breath awareness throughout your day. That's my challenge for the week. (laughs) Mm, I love it. Well, gosh, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. And I hope everyone goes out and checks out her book. It sounds delicious and so nourishing. So thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. <laughs>